You know, I'll never forget as a senior in high school, sitting in a truck with a girl that I had literally grown up with since seventh grade. She had been like a best friend to me. Her name is Darby. And it was strange. It was hard to explain, but both of us felt like that maybe we were supposed to get married one day. And so there was always kind of a a seriousness or a heaviness to our relationship because like even our families thought that, that we were supposed to get married. Like that was who God had for us. And so I'll never forget my senior year of high school sitting in my truck with Darby at her house, her parents' house in her driveway. And I had been dating another girl and I began to tell Darby all the things that I had done with this other girl. And when I say like all the things that I had done, like all the things sexually that we had done together, I was telling Darby about my relationship and about the mistakes that I had made dating this other girl. And I will never forget that night because as I was telling her those things, she began to sob and to cry. Because even as seniors in high school, it was like God had shown us that we would be married one day. And in that moment, it was as if that was over, that was done. And she was sobbing like uncontrollably in that broke me that the mistakes that I had made, the decisions that I had made had that kind of impact on her where it just literally broke her to the point of sobbing. And then I will never forget in her tears, she says, I don't want to see you. I don't want to talk to you. And she got out of my truck and went inside. I was broken. I thought I had ruined the one that I was supposed to be with for the rest of my life. I thought I had ruined all of my chances with who God had for me. Like, God, if this is who I believed you've had for me and I've now ruined it, what, what am I to do? What, what, what am I going to do? So I will never forget the, the brokenness and the despair in that moment, seeing the way my decisions affected Darby and the way that she responded to me. Why is it? Why is it that talking about those kinds of things can be so difficult. Like that night, I will never forget. Like I was trembling. I was so scared and, and, and so nervous about telling her about the things that, that I had done. Why is that? Why was she, why, why was she so broken and upset and so hurt that she would say she wouldn't, she didn't want to see me anymore. She's like, she didn't want to talk to me anymore. Why is that? 
I mean, that's not really true with any other mistake in life, pretty much. I mean, but when it comes to decisions that we make with people, like sexually, for some reason, those carry more pain. Those carry more regret. When we're talking, we're, we're, we're much less likely to tell our, our parents or your friends or someone you're dating. It's a lot harder to tell them those things than it is anything else that you've done, isn't it? Why is that? Why is it that those kinds of decisions, those decisions that we make with people, like when, we, when we're messing around or we have sex or, or we do anything, why is it that those things are the things that like replay through our mind like months or even years later? And maybe you haven't been there, but I have. And let's not even talk about like whether you think those are wrong or not. We'll, we'll get to that later. Let's just talk about practically how even as someone who wasn't really following Jesus at the time, those things carried the most, those decisions carried the most pain and weight and regret and hurt and brokenness. They just did. For myself, for Darby, why is it? Why is it that for me, at least, it's those scenes, it's those regrets, it's those mistakes in my past that continue to replay through my mind. And there's almost nothing else that does. Like when, if, if Satan is trying to bring me down, he's going to bring those things into my mind. It's not other decisions I've made. It's not other mistakes that I've made. Why is it those every single time? What's with the hurt and the pain that comes with those Decisions. What's with the confusion that comes with those decisions that doesn't necessarily come from others? It's all, I'm going to answer this for you. It's what we're going to talk about tonight. It's all in the way that God designed sex. And so if you got a Bible, turn to Genesis chapter 2. We're going to go to the very beginning where it all Started, And if you don't have a Bible, go to RaiderChurch.com. And in fact, whether you do or not, I would go to RaiderChurch.com tonight, select message notes because there, we got a lot of verses. We got a lot of quotes from some different books and sources and things like that that we're going to go through tonight. And so um, I, I would suggest doing that. RaiderChurch.com, select message notes and follow along with us. And it'll be a place where you could maybe screenshot shot some things and, and save those things for later. So, um, so follow along with us. Genesis chapter two, we are in a series called if we date where we are talking about the most common mistakes that I have made that most people make in their dating relationships. And then what, what do we do if we've made those mistakes and, and how do we avoid making them if we haven't made them? And here's what we've said, that we tend to avoid going to God or doing things God's way when it comes to our dating relationships because of several things. One, because of our own pride. We want to do things our way. We don't, we don't want anyone else to help us. Two, because of shame. We've made mistakes, and so we don't want to go to God. We don't feel like we can go to God because of the shame that's attached to some of our past decisions because of our mistakes. We know we haven't done things God's way, and so there's some shame attached there that keeps us from going back to God, from running back to God and doing things his way. And then we've also said fun. Like we, we care about our fun. We care about our own joy and happiness and, and satisfaction. God doesn't. And so uh, he, he's not into those things. And so I'm going to do things my way because 
I want to have fun and God doesn't care about my fun. So we said, those are some of the reasons we, we don't do things God's way. But the problem is, is when we don't do things God's way and when we don't involve God in our dating relationships and the way that he's designed them to be done, we only experience the pain and the regret and the consequences that comes from that choice. And so we're going to finish up this series tonight if we date part three. So Genesis chapter two, let's go. In the beginning. So God creates man and woman and he brings them together. And as they start, Adam and Eve start this new relationship. This is what the Bible says in Genesis chapter two, verse 24. It says this. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united. I would circle this word if you got a Bible, highlight it, whatever. Okay, this is huge. They are joined, man is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. So here's the first thing that the Bible teaches us about sex is this, is that God designed sex. Okay. Now for some of you, you're like, what? No, he didn't like God designed sex. Yeah. Adam and Eve are joined together and they're united into one through sex. And it's not as if that happens. And God's like, what, what are you, what are y'all doing? Like how, Oh, I see that goes there. And hmm, didn't think about that. No, God knew exactly what he was doing. Okay. He knew exactly what he was doing. God designed sex. He's the designer. Okay. And, and we see this all throughout the Bible. Okay. You, you think what I just said is like shocking for church. Just, just wait till you read like what the Bible says. Okay. So the wisest man ever, the Bible says was Solomon, King Solomon of Israel. Okay. And here's what, here's a couple things he had to say about sex. All right. Proverbs five, verse 19, may her breast satisfy you always. May you ever be intoxicated with her love. And in Hebrew, this is love making. So Solomon, the wisest man ever, and boy, is this wise, right? Um, says, may you be intoxicated, husbands, guys, with your wife's love making, like be intoxicated with that. This is in the Bible, okay? So don't tell me that God didn't design sex or was like shocked or taken off guard or surprised by what we figured out. No, God designed it. Okay. He, he made us to do this. Okay. So the wisest man ever says, husbands be intoxicated with your wife's lovemaking. Okay. It gets even better. All right. Here's what he says in song of Solomon. Uh, verse one or one chapter two or verse two, he says this, kiss me and kiss me again. It says for your love again, love making is sweeter than wine. So we got the old Testament. Now, some of you are like, okay, that may be the old Testament. Surely that's not in the new Testament. Wrong again. Paul writes to the Corinthians and he says, the husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs and the wife should, should fulfill her husband's needs or his sexual needs. So here's my, I've just got two responses to this. Okay. To, 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 to the biblical view of sex. Okay. Two responses. Number one is shock, right? 
I mean, you read some of this, and, and when you read the rest of Song of Solomon, I mean, it is an erotic book. It's crazy. Like, you're reading this, and you're like, I can't believe this is in the Bible. But this is God's design for sex. He, he designed it. He created it, which means it's to be done in a certain way. You do it the way the designer created it to be done. You get to experience the benefit of that. You don't do it the way the designer designed it to be done. You get the consequences of that right? So, so one is shock, like, my gosh, I, I can't believe uh, God designed sex. And then the second thing it leads you to say to me anyways is, thank you, God. Thank you. Like, this is amazing. Thank you. You're, 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 every good gift comes from you. This is a great gift, God. Thank you so much for this, God. We are so thankful that you designed sex for us. So shock and gratefulness, okay? We're, we're thankful, God. Thank you for, for sex. Thank you. So so, these, so this is the biblical view of sex, that God designed and created sex for you and I, for procreation, but also, we can't deny, it's for our enjoyment, okay? It's for our enjoyment. Those are the reasons he designed it, for procreation and for our enjoyment. So again, thank you, God. We thank you for that. So this is the biblical view of sex, okay? So one of the commentaries, an NIV, it's called the NIV Application Commentary, just had this to say, just in general, about the biblical view of sex, the Bible is, to be sure, fully aware of lust and the misuse of sex. But at the same time, it is forthright in approving the wholesomeness of sex. The passionate physical attraction between man and woman who find in this the fulfillment of their deepest longings is seen as a healthy, natural thing. So God designed sex. Okay, the second thing Genesis 2 teaches us is this, is that sex unites. This is important. Sex unites. In Hebrew, in Genesis 2, which is what the Old Testament was written in, in Genesis 2, it says, and the two were united into one. That word united in Hebrew has a huge, deep meaning. And it's so cool to me what that word means that I use it in every wedding I perform. I talk about this word in Hebrew and what the depth of this word means because it's so amazing to me. It means this. It means to cling to one another. It means to stick to each other like glue. It implies loyalty and allegiance. And it also implies an ongoing, continuing, committed relationship. To stick to each other like glue. That's what this word means. And so when God created sex and he uses it to take two people and join them into one, we learn the Bible teaches sex unites. You could also call this intimacy. Intimacy. Intimacy in the Bible is a lifelong friendship laced with sexual passion. And if you're like, uh, yes, please, sign me up for that. Uh, me too, right? I mean, that sounds amazing, and it is. And that is God's best for you. That is God's best for you. A lifelong friendship laced with sexual passion. 
in the context of a marriage relationship. That's what the, the Bible teaches us. That, that, that's intimacy. And that's what God designed for a husband and wife to experience together because sex unites. Here's what Andy Stanley said in his book, The New Rules of Love, Sex, and Dating. He said this, sex is designed, watch this, as an adhesive. Remember, united, to stick to each other like glue. It was designed as an adhesive. It's sticky. It's meant to help hold two people together permanently. Thus, the term unites. Sex has a uniting quality. If you apply, remove, and reapply, and remove an adhesive, it begins to lose its adhesiveness. In other words, it gets less sticky over time. Every time you have sex with a different partner, you apply, remove, then reapply this powerful but somewhat fragile relational uniter. Eventually, your sexual experience will begin to lose its stickiness. The way you'll know is because sex will begin to lose its significance. Sex unites. Think about it like this. The essence of romance and intimacy is exclusivity. That's the, that's the essence of romance and intimacy is that it's exclusive. Like there's only one other person that you're doing this with. Let me put it to you like this. Guys, how would you feel if your girlfriend said, I love you? I do. You know, I'm, I'm so in love with you. Um, but I want to keep having, I want to have sex with your roommate. Is that okay? You'd be like, uh, no. Like, what planet are you from? Of, of course not. Like, why would you tell me you love me, but you want to have sex with my roommate? Like, that, that makes no sense. Those two, they, they don't go together. It's because the essence of sex, the, the essence of uniting, the essence of intimacy is exclusivity. Think about it like this. Girls, guys, would you rather your future spouse, think about it for just a second, would you rather your future spouse have had sex with 50 different people or zero? Zero, okay? In case you were wondering, the answer is zero, okay? It just doesn't make sense. Like you don't think about when the essence of exclusivity and intimacy, you, you, you just don't, when, when that's the essence of a, a relationship and what God just designed us for and hardwired us for, we would rather our future spouse have had sex with zero people, not 50. It's just a natural reaction. It's a natural response. It's the way God designed us. It's the way you're hardwired to respond to that question because we know God created us this way and it's because it's his best for us that the essence of intimacy is exclusivity. Tim Keller wrote in his book, In the Meaning of Marriage, he said this, the Bible does not counsel sexual abstinence, waiting to have sex until you're married, uh, before marriage, because it has such a low view of sex, but because it has such a lofty one. The biblical view implies that sex outside of marriage is not just morally wrong, but also personally harmful. 
If sex is designed to be a part of making a covenant and experiencing that covenant's renewal, then we should think of sex, watch this, as an emotional commitment apparatus. You see, when you treat sex as just something physical, you damage your future intimacy. Because you're, every time, you're sticking to someone, you're uniting to someone, because that's the way God designed sex, whether you believe that or not, or whether you think that or not, that's the way God designed it to work. So every time you have sex with someone, you're you're sticking to that person, and then when you leave that person, you're removing that adhesiveness, and then you do that again, you reapply, and you remove, and it gets less sticky over time. And not only that, there's pain, there's hurt, there's regret. It's why it's so hard to break up with someone after you've had sex with them. It's hard. And I know from personal experience. I shared with you last week about the comfort zone I was in with the dating relationship I was in. And a large part of that was because of the sexual mistakes I made in that relationship that brought us together, that stuck us together. And so what it does is sex outside of marriage begins to confuse you mentally and emotionally. And you will stay in a relationship longer than you should, longer than God is telling you to because of those mistakes. It confuses you. Because like it or not, as you have sex with someone, you've, you've united with them. You've become one in a way. Because God created sex to do that. And when you rip that apart, it causes pain and hurt and brokenness and consequences. That's why Darby was so broken that night. That's why the decisions I made hurt her so deeply. That's why I stayed in that relationship longer than I should. Even when God was saying, come out, I stayed. Because that's what sex does. And so Paul, while affirming sex and the whole counsel of the Bible affirms that in the way God designed it, Paul also wrote to the Corinthians and said this in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 18. He said, run from sexual sin. In other words, run from having sex or doing anything remotely like sex, anything under that line or around that line. Or run from it. Because it does nothing but bring pain. Sexual sin is when you engage in sex that, in a way that God didn't design for it to be done. And you do it your way instead of God's way. And so Paul writes, run from it. Not just because it's morally wrong, and it is. Because it's personally harmful. And so he says, run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body, so clearly hurts you and affects you as this one does. For sexual immorality, watch this, is a sin against your own body. 
when we make the decisions that we make, that I have made in my past, when we make those kinds of decisions, we are doing nothing but hurting ourselves, Paul says. And so the third thing the Bible teaches us about sex is that sexual sin hurts. It does nothing but hurts you and everyone around you. And so, while sexual sin isn't the unforgivable sin, it can make life pretty difficult. And while sexual sin doesn't send you to hell, it can, it can make life hell on earth. And so here's what I want you to see tonight. It says sex is for married people. This is what the Bible teaches us. Sex is for married people, not because God is against sex or against your fun, but rather, but because God is for you. God is for you. Listen, God wants you to have tons of sex. I'm serious. I mean, the Bible is clear. God wants you to have tons of sex with your spouse. With your spouse. That's the way that he designed it to be done. That's where you will experience joy and not pain. When it's in its proper place. When you're doing it his way. And so, sex is for married people. Not because God is against sex, but because God is for you. He's for your happiness. He wants you to have fun. He's for your best. And so here's our if we date challenge tonight. If we date, we wait. If we date, we wait. You see, when you do sex God's way, it's an investment. It's an investment in your future happiness. It's an investment in your spouse's future happiness. It's an investment in a lifelong relationship laced with sexual passion with your spouse. And when we don't wait, all we're doing is hurting ourselves. All we're doing is hurting our future spouse. All we're doing is hurting that future intimacy with your spouse one day. And I know some of you are here and you're like, well, great, I'm screwed. Um, and I've been there. I, I've, I've been there. I didn't, I didn't do things God's way for a long time. And I experienced the pain. I experienced the hurt that comes from that. But here's the great news. In the Old Testament, there's a prophet called Hosea. In, in the book of Hosea, God tells his prophet Hosea, he tells him, hey, I want you to go and marry this woman who is a prostitute. And Hosea's like, what? I, I don't wanna go, I don't, I don't wanna marry a prostitute. And God tells, I, I want you to go marry a prostitute. And what God was telling Hosea was that I want you to enter into this relationship. I want you to marry this woman because it's an illustration. It's a picture of my relationship with Israel. 
It's a picture of God's relationship with you and with me now as the church. In that we continue to run away from him. We continue to rebel against him. We continue to not do things his way. But in Hosea and through that relationship, as she continues to wander, as she continues to go off with other men, and God tells Hosea to continue to pursue her and to try to bring her back home, God was saying, listen, you can run from me, you can do things your way, you can totally mess everything up, you can totally jack everything up, and I am still pursuing a relationship with you. I love you. I just want you to come back home because I love you and I care about you. And so tonight, if you haven't been doing things God's way, God, I want you to know tonight is pursuing you. Even tonight, even in this moment, through you being here, I want you to know God is pursuing you tonight. He wants you regardless of what you've done, regardless of what your past looks like. God is pursuing you right now and drawing you and speaking to you and saying, tonight is the night. Come, turn from your sin, trust in me, follow me. Do things my way because I'm all about you. I am for you. I'm for your happiness. I'm for your joy. I'm for your fun. So come and follow me. And the great news is that tonight, regardless of what you've done, the Bible says that Jesus died on the cross to pay the fine for your sin that you and I owe. Because we've broken God's law, we pay God's fine. But Jesus died on the cross. He paid the fine for your sin so that if tonight you would say, I've never committed my life to Jesus, but tonight I want to give my life to Jesus and enter into that relationship with Jesus, your sin because of what Jesus did for you on the cross is totally wiped away, is totally forgiven. The Bible says it's cast as far as the east is from the west. The Bible says when you come to believe in Jesus and you put your faith in Jesus, that your sin is forgotten. He will remember your sin no more. And so tonight, I believe God is calling some of you. He's pursuing you to come and to enter into that relationship with him. And if that's you, go to RadioChurch.com, fill out that form, that connect form. Check that you're committing your life to Christ. Stop by our connect center in the lobby. We've got a team there that wants to pray with you and celebrate that decision with you. But tonight, know God is pursuing you in spite of your rebellion, in spite of your sin. God wants you to be in a relationship with him. You know, as I told you, I didn't do things God's way. And Darby said she didn't want to ever see me or talk to me again. And for about a couple of years, that was the case. Two years later, I was at a college service just like this. And after it was over, we were leaving and we spotted each other. We walked up to each other and we were talking. I was working for a youth ministry at the time, doing an internship. And I had brought some high school students that were graduating to a college service just like this. And they knew my, my past with, with Darby. And so they saw us talking and they said, hey, can we have your keys to your truck? We, it could be a little bit. Uh, we want to go sit in your truck. And I was like, sure. So I gave my keys and Darby and I started talking. A few minutes later, I get a phone call. I answer the phone and 
one of these seniors is laughing and I can hear the radio going. I said, what, what's going on? They're like, we left you, uh, asked Darby to take you home and hung up. I was like, uh, we haven't talked like in a long time. Like she could just say, no, find your, I mean, this is before Uber, this is before all that stuff, okay? So I would have been stuck. So we talk and I, I told her what happened. And uh, sounds like a great pickup line, right? You know, my, my ride left me. And so would you give me a ride home? So we're talking and um, I asked her if she could give me a ride to where they abandoned my truck. And, and so uh, she, she took me to my car and we talked. And a couple days later, we talked on the phone. Probably a week after that, we went on our first date. Probably two years from when we had that conversation in my truck, we ran into each other at that church service. Two years after that, we were getting married in that same church. And so when I said at the beginning tonight, when we were praying that the best is still yet to come, I say that knowing what I've been through and the mistakes that I've made, that if you would begin to do things God's way, your best is still yet to come. You can still experience God's best for your life if you will leave your rebellion, doing things your way, and begin to pursue God in His way. Let's stand. Our team's gonna lead us in worship and as you stand, would you just bow your head kind of in prayer? And here's what I, I want to ask you tonight, just kind of between you and God. If you're here tonight and you would say, man, I've, I've made some mistakes in my dating relationships. So just kind of as you think about this whole series, I've made some mistakes with my dating relationships. I, I, I've made some mistakes sexually with the people that I, I've dated. I haven't done things God's way. But you would say, man, tonight, I feel God pursuing me and drawing me to him, drawing me back to him. And tonight, I, I wanna believe that tonight, in Jesus' name, I'm believing that God's best is still yet to come. And, and I, I'm just praying, God, I, I need you to help me and to fill me even with the faith to believe that tonight, I'm turning back to you and I can still experience your best. So if that's you, would you just raise your hand and say, yeah, that's me. I, I, need, I need God to just restore me. I need God to forgive me of my sin, of my past mistakes. If that's you, just lift up your hand and say, God, forgive me for doing things my way and not your way. If tonight you would say, God, I need the strength. I need your help to do things your way and not my way. Just lift up your hand and keep your hands up. God, we need you. We need you right now in this moment. God, to fill us with the faith to believe that you're not done with us yet, that your best is still yet to come. God, we need you to fill us with the strength to do things your way and not our way. God, give us the faith to believe that your way is best. We don't always believe that, God. Help us to believe that tonight, that if we'll do things your way, you're all about our best. And so God, I pray tonight, 
God, that you would turn some stories around just like you turned my story around. It went from hopeless to filled with hope. And as I look back on it, Jesus, I'm so thankful because I know I didn't deserve it. I don't deserve what you've done for me. And God, I know that they don't deserve it either. But God, we thank you for your grace and we worship you now, Jesus, for your grace towards us that even while we were yet sinners, you pursued us and you died for us and you're calling us to follow you tonight.